welcome back to the Sistery Podcast. Today, I'm pretty excited about our um, episode, our topic today. It's um, it's a hard topic, but it's good, and uh, it's an incredible story that not a lot of people not a lot of people know about. But right. before we get into it, I want to do our state fun fact. This state was the first, well, excuse me, was the 31st state to join the Union on September 9th, 1850. It's home to the world's largest tree, General Sherman, which stands 270 feet tall, 75 feet tall, and has a circumference of 102 feet. It's considered the world's artichoke and avocado capital. It is responsible for 80% of the world's almond production, and 90% of all the wine in the U.S. is produced here. It is also known as the Golden State. And we used to live there. (laughs) (laughs) Another fun fact, we used to live there. Also, disclaimer on the Mother's Cookies, how I remembered the dates of World War I. Mother's Cookie started in 1914, so that's how I I remember the beginning of World War I. There we go. 1914. You don't remember that commercial? Not at all. 1914, and then the little wink? Not at all. Oh, well. That's Maybe if I remember. saw it, I would remember Maybe. it. Was it like between the O.J. Simpson trial <laughs> things? Because that's really what I remember about my childhood is no. that stuff. And I, I just looked it up in Mother's Cookies. They still make Mother's Cookies, but I think... Yeah, I think they went out of business, yeah, I thought. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Somebody so, else make just makes the cookies. Right. Right. And actually, I think it's Keebler that, now that makes... Oh. The frosted cookies that I like, the animal cookies. Oh, yeah, I think so. so Yeah, yeah. Those are my go-to road trip food. That only you like. That only I like. My kids like them, so there. Remember when we went on a road trip and they melted? All in one (laughs) Yes. That was the worst. (laughs) Oh, that was ridiculous. Yeah, very messy. So anyway, so our topic today, we're going to speak on the Harlem Hellfighters. Yes. So this was a group of African-American soldiers during World War One, who very bravely fought and helped win the war, but I had just barely heard about them. I did not know much about them, so I wanted to learn more about them and give them the honor that they deserved. Yeah. So African-Americans have served in every military conflict that America has had starting the Revolutionary War, right? World War One. 2.3 million African American registered Americans registered for the draft. The Marines said no thanks. They did not accept any. The Navy enlisted some, but it was not very many and they were put to working on the docks and stuff like that. They weren't could, Yeah, they, they were loading ships, building yes. latrines, cooking yes. food. More than 380,000 served in the army. 200,000 of those were sent to Europe, mainly for transportation of goods to the front lines. They worked in the docks and railroad. The General Pershing used African-American soldiers for strictly labor purposes. But Governor Charles Whitman of Harlem formed the all-black unit. He was, this black unit was first known as the 15th, excuse me, 15th New York National Guard Regiment in 1916 as the U.S. prepared for possible entry into World War I. Charles Whitman made 
William Hayward, the commanding officer of the unit, of the unit. Uh, William Hayward was a white attorney that served as a colonel with the Nebraska National Guard because, you know, the African-American unit had to have white officers. Right. So. And I wanted to point out, too, there was there was no specific segregation policy outlined in the draft legislation, but African-Americans were told to tear off a corner of their registration cards so they could easily be identified and then, you know, and they were actually inducted separately wow. into the military. So yeah, it didn't lie it, it wasn't like spelled out into the into the draft document, into hmm. the legislation legislation, but when they got there it was like, okay, make sure when you get in this line you tear off a corner so you're going over here and everybody else is going hmm. over here. That's awful. Yeah. All right, William Hayward knew the U.S. Army was not interested in integrating at all and that they would try and keep the 15th strictly to labor. Hayward said, was quoted as saying, we had come to France when they finally did get to France as combat troops, and apparently we were in danger of becoming labor troops. Hayward went to General Pershing to sway him to allow the 15th to fight. So let's talk a little about, about General Blackjack Pershing. He got the nickname Black Jack Purging because he was a commander of an all-black cavalry unit, the 10th Cavalry Regiment of the famous Buffalo Soldiers. So he knew how bravely yeah. and how well people of color can fight. And how willing they were to, to serve, to serve for their country, country to yes. fight and die for their country. A country who was like, no, I'm sorry, tear the corner of your Yeah, you, you're not allowed to eat here or right. drink here or sit here. Right. You have to go in this line. So, and it, that's just, history is complicated. People yeah. are complicated. And it's, people will say, oh, well, that was the times. No, it's just, it's It doesn't make it excuse. right. Hate right. Is hate. And people need to stand against it. Right. And, you know, we talked earlier, very early on, this is, we do not do politics on this podcast, and we don't believe that racism is a political issue. We believe no. that it is a moral issue. Yes. And that it happened, it's factual, and to act like it didn't kind of demonizes our history almost. Right. It, it kind of, it waters it down. Mm-hmm. And history is the hardest thing to look in the mirror. Right. And... Not only should we be talking about it, we should be listening to others yeah, agreed. who can tell us mm-hmm. a side that we have no idea. Right. All right. So back to the Harlem Hellfighters. The thing that changed Pershing's mind about sending the 15th to go fight was the unit's military band. The band was led by James Reese Europe. So this is a person that I would really like to devote an entire podcast to. He not only wanted to fight, he went to some of his band members and was like, okay, I enlisted, Yeah, you do too. <laughs> and he was actually pretty popular. He was so popular. Mm-hmm. He was, um, he did several famous like shows in New York. He mm-hmm. composed a lot of things for that. And the band was so popular. So because of that band, Pershing was like, okay, I'm going to let your unit go over. So back to James Reese Europe. He wrote the famous song, How You Gonna Keep Him Down on the Farm. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. After they seen Perry. He was not only the band leader, though. He would fight on the front and be wounded by mustard gas. And while he was recuperating from that injury, he wrote many songs. Mm-hmm. All right, so April 17th, 1917, America enters the war. In May, the 15th in New York were to report to Camp Peekskill in New York. 
They were moved to Camp Whitman in July near Poughkeepsie, New York, for basic training. But it was soon apparent that they were to be segregated from the rest of the Army. And that is... Makes no sense. No sense, but... And it's interesting that, you know, at the time, I'm sure, you know, just like government has done for 200,000, probably thousands of years in other countries, where they tell you, you know, we don't want to just have wasteful spending. Well, how much wasteful spending did you have because you felt like you needed to segregate these people that their blood was equal enough to to shed for right. freedom but they weren't equal enough to to sleep and eat live and and just spot. live in the same spot right. as their fellow Americans right so before they went to France there was going to be a farewell parade down Fifth Avenue which included the Rainbow Division so this was a collection of National Guard units from more than 20 states to show diversity okay so obviously Hayward was like, hey, we have a whole unit of diversity. Let's parade them down before they go fight for the country. And he was told that the 15th couldn't join the group because, quote, black is not a color of the rainbow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty awful. That is awful. You can go die for a country, but don't come to our parade. Right. Exactly. It's just hateful. In 1977... A documentary was done where um, it was actually called Men of Bronze, the Black American Heroes of World War I, and four of the Hellfighters are interviewed. And in that, one of the members says that um, he recalls how they didn't even have rifles when they were when they were practicing marching up and down the street. In fact, they didn't have a place to learn all of this. They actually, I think it was an abandoned warehouse they had to learn all of wow. this in. And... Um, the, the only way they had to learn to hold guns was either use wooden guns or broomsticks. Hmm. And it's like, wait, you want these people to go fight in war? Yeah. But you're not even, gonna, you're not even going to equip them right. with the weapons that they'll be carrying. So not they just... And, but what's incredible is that they improvised. Because in their minds, it's, I have to fight for my country. Right. And I have to learn this either way. Right. And I mean, that's just... I thought that was really incredible. He was like, yeah, we just walked in. He said, we looked cra- like crazy people right. <laughs> walking in formation with broomsticks. Right. All right, so they are on their way to France. They're headed to the front. They arrived in Brest, France, December 27th, 1917. And let's talk about that, because Pershing had said earlier that before America joined that France and England wanted troops. Yes. And General Pershing said, no way. Right. Because any any American, is what he said, any American is not going to fight under a non-American flag. Right. He will only under f- an American general. Right. They have to be American flag. American general will not fight for anybody else. Right. Unless you are African American. Right. And then we will just hear France. You can take them. Right. And France was like, okay, exactly. Yeah, we will welcome you. We need help. All right. So months went by with no new orders, but the unit band began to become very popular because obviously their music was awesome. Right. Yeah. And people began to hear about the fifteenth. Using this popularity, Hayward asked General Purging to reassignment to combat duty for his unit. All right, so after three months of labor building, they built railroad lines to get supplies to the front. The 15th had orders to join the French 16th Division for three weeks of combat training. Three weeks. That seems not enough No. Like, not enough time at all. The 15th Regiment received a new regimental number, and the 15th were renamed the 369th Infantry Regiment. But they carried the regimental flag for the 15th everywhere they went in France. 
The next month, they were sent to fight with the 16th Division of the 4th French Army. Now, the French Army was fully integrated. Mm-hmm. And the men of the 15th found something they had not found in their own country that they were fighting for, and that was respect and mm-hmm. acceptance. Right. The unit was sent to the front in April 9, 1918. They were ordered to the Argonne Forest, and they would spend 191 mm-hmm. days in combat. They actually saw the most. They were they saw the most out of any Allied troops in World War One. Right. They saw any more combat than Alvin York did, who right. was a great World War One hero. Right. Um, then I, that was incredible to me too to to read that. Yeah, this was the this was the longest that any other American unit was sent to the front. Mm-hmm. And they were the first Allied unit to reach the Rhine. Yep. Wow. That's yeah, you know that. Wow, you know. Now, it's believed the term Hellfighters was given to the 369th by the German soldiers. Yeah. Because that's how brave they were. Mm -hmm. They They scared the German soldiers, you know. because they fought so well. There are several heroic stories from the Harlem Hellfighters, but probably the two most famous are Freddie Stowers and Private Henry Johnson. So, Private Henry Johnson, on the night of May 15th, 1918, Private Johnson and another private, Private Needham Roberts of the 369th, were on sentry duty. So, they were looking out, watching... In no man's land. Right. Just looking for suspicious activity, listening for anything that's going on. They heard a sound in the night. and Like snippets or something like that? Right, like something being clipped. They could... It sounded like someone was cutting wires... Suddenly, there were more than 20 Germans surrounding them. So, the Germans had sent a patrol of 20-plus men to destroy the outpost and hopefully capture prisoners so they could learn about the all-black unit, the all-black American force. (laughs) All right, so Henry Johnson is throwing grenades, doing whatever they they can, hand-to-hand combat, and... They used grenades in their guns. Johnson sent Roberts to go alert the rest of the men down the line. So Roberts ran off. After fighting bravely, he ran to go tell the other men that the Germans were breaking through the lines. So during all the commotion, Private Johnson accidentally reloaded American ammo into his French rifle, which obviously that won't work. It It caused it to jam. And all he had left was his hands and his bolo knife. Johnson was wounded 21 times by the end of the fight, and his foot was severely injured. One reporter later called it the Battle of Henry Johnson. Johnson and Roberts received the French Croix de Guerre, which is France's highest military honor. I believe they were the first Americans to ever receive that. Right. Pretty amazing. And I just could not even imagine... Like, first of all, you can't even see. Right. Because it's completely dark. Right. And then 30 people rush you. Right. And your gun stops working, and here you you got a knife in a gunfight, mm-hmm. and you just start going to town and saying prayers, right. you know, throwing grenades, mm-hmm. and doing whatever you can against twenty plus. Yeah, well, he and killed four at least. They found four, least, right. and then they found evidence of at least thirty Germans. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow, it's just crazy, amazing. Yeah. All right, the 369th were reassigned to the French 161st, and would soon face the Meuse Argonne offensive. On September 29th, 1918, the 369th captured the town of Seychelles, France? Seychelles? I think. We're going to go with that. 
The unit suffered heavy casualties. Major Arthur Little described the loss as hideous and continuous. Mm-hmm. And looking back at World War I, all this horrific fighting and the war probably more than likely didn't even need to happen. That's uh, what's so Agreed. Crazy. And it was just like Four a... Four years. But, you know, you look at it and I don't want to... War is not clean fighting, no. but look at how different World War One and World War Two were. World War One was just almost like you do anything you have to do to kill the enemy. Right. And not that World War Two wasn't, but it just seemed, I don't know, like not planned out, but maybe more just... Let's not just blow mustard gas in these guys' face and right. obliterate their lungs. Right. You know? Um, well, and there is a definite reason for World War II. Exactly, World yeah. World War I, it was just people in power wanting to keep power. And take somebody else's power. Right. You know? Yeah. And you had two sides, and they, yeah, they both wanted power. And really, that was pretty much it. And yeah, and... send the people with no power to fight their battles. Right, Exactly. Well, it's a poor man's fight, right? Yes. Is what they say. Yes. So it just it breaks my heart just to know all those men who died for their country and all that propaganda on both sides. Yeah, I mean that's what fueled it. Up, yeah, stirring up the country to fight, and it was just unnecessary. And again, I mean, it's most historians agree. Yeah, they just don't knowing if we knew what we knew now. And understood that process, World War One would not, I don't think, would have happened. Right. Um, but there, it was just kind of like, well, we've fought always before, so right. why don't we just fight over this again? Right, and I was reading a book right before 1914. Somebody said, somebody in power, in high command, not like a leader of a country, but a general of a country, was like, we haven't had a war in a while. It's coming and we're ready. So that mindset was already, that military mindset right. was already there. Like, okay, they were looking. Well, what's crazy is they war. say that, but in 1898, 16 years earlier, mm-hmm. or when this was in 1914, no, 1917 was yes. this? 1918 was this. So almost over. 20 years earlier, mm-hmm. we just fought the Spanish American War. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's. Well, and I think that's why America took so long to get into it because they had right. just fought that war. Right. So. Hmm, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But back to the Harlem Hellfighters. Just a day before the 369th fought in that brutal Meuse-Argonne offensive, Freddie Stowers was not far away from them. He was an Army corporal, and he served as a squad leader in Company C, 371st Infantry Regiment, 93rd Infantry Division. So we are Air Force brats, our dad mm-hmm. in the Air Force. However, I do not understand all this... There's so many, like, 371st Infantry Regiment, 93rd Infantry Division. That's a lot. Yeah. And they just knew it. You just had to know it. I know. (laughs) So his company led the fight on Hill 188. (laughs) You know? That makes me so sad. (laughs) A numbered hill Mm -hmm. in the Champagne-Marne sector of France. After the initial attack began, the the Germans stopped fighting and acted like they were going to surrender. So this caused the Allied troops to leave their trenches and head over to the German side trenches to capture their prisoners and everything else. Well, as soon as the Allies got close, the Germans jumped right back in and right. started shooting. And that could you just imagine? It's the kind of like of right bodies up there, and then just 
having machine guns and then just oh yeah down. just trying to level it's almost like you know when you and this is a very probably not the best analogy but it's not like when you're when you're playing tag as a kid and you're like, oh, I don't want to play anymore. Yeah. And then when they run away, you're like, oh, just kidding. I'm playing like running to base. It's almost right. the exact same concept. Right, except it's... It's war much, and yes. people are dying because exactly. of it. Exactly. Stowers realized that there was a machine gun trench causing heavy casualties near him and he bravely led his squad to destroy it and they did. After successfully taking the first machine gun down, Stowers and his men headed to the next one. Okay, imagine this conversation. With his you know, you're like, hey, guys, we got to go take that machine gun down. Right. And then doing it. Right. And then like, hey, we got to do it again. Right. Some of us are probably going to die. Right. We're going to get wounded, but some of us are probably going to die. Is, we have to do this. So this is September 29th. Okay. And it ended November 11th. 11th. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's so close. And it's just like. Ugh, and that's awful. another thing, too. You know, how 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 long World War One went. And then it was like, OK, boom, we're, we're everyone's fine now. Right. She's like, okay, everyone cried and people died, and right. it's like, this well, is no, this it wasn't is fine. It was no, 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 but it was just like emotions were so high, yeah. and it's like, let's start this world war, and then yeah. it's like, boom, it's done. Yeah, it's like, whoa, it's pretty crazy. Okay, so on their way to take down the second machine gun, Stowers was wounded, but even though he was wounded, he continued to encourage his men to capture the machine gun, which they did. His men, inspired by the bravery of their leader continue to fight and greatly aided in the capture of Hill 188. Now, Stowers would not be recognized for his ba- bravery until April 24th, 1991. Yep. 1918 was when he died. 1991 was when President George H.W. Bush presented the Medal of Honor to his sister 73 years later. Yep. I'm happy he got the recognition. But 73 years Mm -hmm. later. And again, it's very important for me to tell my children these stories that have not been told. Or if they have have been told, but it's been not as loud as other stories, for sure. And Mm -hmm. the the story of the Harlem Hellfighters should be up there. I mean, everybody should know them. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you study World War I, where how we were taught, everybody knew Alvin York. It was on the test. And, and this isn't to 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 put to put Alvin York down. He right. was also a great uh, a great hero. Right. But I mean, Alvin York came back to a, a hero's welcome. Right. These guys didn't. Right. I mean, he's in the history books. Mm-hmm. You have to go to library. You have to go find things about the Harlem Hellfighters. Right. You know. So the Harlem Hellfighters were finally relieved and withdrawn to the rear on October sixth. 1918. Again, the war is going to end November 11th, yeah. Armistice Day. The entire regiment was awarded the Croix de Guerre after their fight at Seychelles. The 369th returned to the front lines. Oh, again, they returned to the front lines and headed to the Vosges Mountains. All right, so after a short time of rest, the 369th returned to the front lines and headed to the Vosges Mountains. The Allies were advancing, and the war would soon be over. For three weeks, the 369th occupied towns on the Rhine. In December 1918, the 369th received orders to head for the city of Brest, which is where they came in, the poor city, because they were heading home. It took them almost a month to reach their destination, and weeks before they were finally able to get a passage home. On February 1st, 1919, the 369th finally began their journey home. 
Wow. I know. It's a long time. The Harlem Hellfighters were the first New York combat unit to return home. On February 17th, there was another parade on 5th Avenue, and this time the 369th was allowed to participate. Over 3,000 veterans for the 369th joined the parade, including Private Henry Johnson. An account that I read read uh, said that Henry Johnson was in a convertible, like cheering and standing yeah. up. He was just so appreciative of the love that was being shown to them mm-hmm. for their sacrifice after all this time. The New York Tribune reported the next day, up the wide avenue they swung. Their smiles outshone the golden sunlight. In every line, proud chests expanded beneath the medals Valor had won. The impassioned cheering of the crowds massed along the way drowned the blaring cadence of their former jazz band. The old 15th was on parade, and New York turned out to tender its dark-skinned heroes a New York welcome. So, this was in Manhattan, right? Fifth Avenue. Then they went to Harlem. Mm-hmm. And the account I read in the New York Tribune, kids got out of school that day for the parade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal, and it's just representation. Right. Kids seeing people that look like them mm-hmm. being honored, being paraded, instead yeah. of being ostracized. You know? Right, giving a hero's welcome yes. because that's what they are. Yes, exactly. That the color of this their skin did not define them. The fact that they got the bad guys, basically, right. you know, and they did this for their country. Right. Where they didn't even have rights. Mm-hmm. Or exactly. they had the, the bare minimum. Right. So after the war... Private Johnson began making speeches about his time in combat. He also stood up for his fellow soldiers, and he went to the New York legislature to show his support for a bill in 1919. They were trying to get a bill passed that would give veterans preference in government hiring. In St. Louis, on March 1919, Henry Johnson gave an impassioned speech condemning white soldiers for their racism. After this speech, he left the speaking circuit, and he died July 1929 at age 39 of an enlarged heart. So remember, he got hurt. He hurt right. his foot. Mm-hmm. So I've read two accounts. One was that he did not get any compensation. Because right, I read said, that too. Oh, you fought with the French. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the French should pay for you. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also read that he did get military benefits. So, yeah, and that that's where we got to figure out conflicting. But what's sad is we don't know which one. We don't know for sure. Because Correct. it's very possible. Right. And, um, yeah, that he may have died penniless. Yeah. That's incredibly sad that any of our veterans would have any of that ever happen to them. Yes. This country has... We love America. Oh, my goodness. And that's the thing. Yeah, I wanted to say that, too. It's It's... It's not that we have anything against America, okay, because I still think it's the greatest country. Yes. We grew up in military families. I mean, we were both born on Air Force bases. Right. Our grandfathers were in the military, and their grandfathers, and all the way back. And we're very proud of our history, um, military history. But the facts state, and they're there, Mm -hmm. that people of color were treated differently in in our military, well, in our country as a whole. but. Overall, our veterans are yes. not given the priority that they are. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's so sad to me that we even have to fight to have to give our veterans basic needs right. that they that they have. Right. It's very pomp and circumstance. Come join us. Yes. Come be a part of America. And when they get out and they struggle, 
what's wrong with you? Right. Oh, sorry, you're out. You're not our problem anymore. Yeah, yeah. You had to see all of this happen. Garbage. Yeah. And at such a young age. I mean, these are kids. Yeah. Fighting. They're eighteen, and they're nineteen. To yeah. Process this. Mm-hmm. And and then they're supposed to just go back to their office jobs, right? And not get any type of mental health or anything. And and what's crazy is, what's sad to me is that that didn't really even start to come around until Vietnam. Right. I mean, people in the Civil War, people in World War One yeah. and World War Two saw a whole lot, especially in World War One. It right. was awful. And Let me just read Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. Which is when I think they, I mean, we have letters from soldiers about the trenches, about no man's land. And yeah. it's not... Fun. Right. You could Google pictures of soldiers from World from World War One, yes. and just look at them, read their accounts of the mustard gas, mm-hmm. what it would do to people. and That's what's so great about this. We have so much written yes. history that mm-hmm. we can just go look it up and read about it. Yeah. And Calvin Coolidge said in 1920, a nation that forgets its defenders will be itself forgotten. And I think that... The Harlem Hellfighters were forgotten. Absolutely. And that was a grave injustice. And of course, you know, that's something that we can we can do better. Mm-hmm. We can teach the next generation, hey, these are these are some great guys, you know. Um, and the French honored these men within six months. Right. It took us 73 years. Um that that's that's stunning to me. Right. So I read an article in the Smithsonian, and I feel like it sums up how we are feeling about how the Harlem Hellfighters were forgotten for so long. And this is also, from the outside looking in, we've right. never had to experience something like this. Right. We've never been put in this position. Like I said, our, like I said, our, our ancestors would not have been treated this way. No. They were not. Right. In fact. So that's why, like we said at the beginning, we need to tell their story but we also need to listen as well Mm -hmm. all right so let me go back to that article in the smithsonian it said like their predecessors in the civil war and successors in the wars that followed these african-american troops fought a war for a country that refused them basic rights and their bravery stood as a rebuke to racism a moral claim to first-class citizenship so that is the story of the harlem hellfighters very interesting story yeah it's a heavy story but it's also um it's an incredible story and i think it's it's um it in our history it's um it's sad that it was overlooked because i think that we missed an opportunity there to just completely give these guys the the accolades they deserve absolutely absolutely now for our state fun fact answer California was the 31st state to join the union in 1850 it's home to the world's largest tree Considered the world's artichoke and avocado capital, and it's responsible for 80% of the world's almond production. California. Yep. Our state for many, many years. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, that. Thank you for listening to this history podcast. We will talk to you next time. Bye.